And it still ain't a goddamn thing they could tell me What could compel me to jump in Get the piece of this bread pudding Wake up, cake up Walking in the form of my elders I'm glowed up, glowed up Bitch, don't I look like a pharaoh? Fuck your story tale, nigga. Hey there, baby Welcome to Griffey's Naptime Podcast Where we take care of all your Seattle Mariners needs I'm Dustin here with Michael Ajetto in Bellingham. I'm nippy. He's nippy. And we're about to get you nippy as well. So pull up a, so pull up a chair and listen. <laughs> what do you think about what do you think about that one, Mike? I'm still searching for what we're gonna use permanently to begin the show. Uh please, can we? I'm going for something sexy. The reviews I've been getting lately are like, all right, look, Dustin, your guys' show is good, but it's just not sexy enough, you know? And so I'm trying to jazz it up a little bit. Maybe I'll put some sexy saxophone behind that. Griffey's Sexy Time Podcast. <laughs> That'll really uh, shoot us up the ratings. We're just, we're just gonna, we're gonna stop talking content and strictly talk hot, sexy trade rumors. <laughs> All right, well, uh, just so everybody's clear, we're not leaving anybody behind, this is Griffey's Naptime Podcast. I'm Dustin Ryan from Beacon Hill in Seattle, Washington, and I'm joined by Michael Ajetto in Bellingham. How's it going, Mike? How are things in your neck of the woods in Bellingham? Uh, you know what? School is done. I have some grades in. I got good grades. All my ducks are in a row for my new job, so things are great. That's awesome, man. I'm going to put an edit in right here of uh, Alice Cooper's School's Out for the Summer. School's out for summer. Oh, sweet. Yeah, it'll be cool. Things are also well with me. I know you didn't ask, but I'm telling you anyway. Things are going really yeah. good. I had a little barbecue yesterday, went on a hike today. But in the interest of full disclosure, I should tell you that I got like two hours of sleep last night. So I'm running on coffee and a couple beers. So I heard you run a Forty mile now. Uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, we don't need to bring that up. All right, that's fucking crazy. Yeah, man. Thanks. I've been working hard. No, wait, no, we do need to bring that up, right? I've been working hard, and so at the height of my wrestling, athletic endurance peak, I ran. I mean, I've got little legs. I'm five seven, maybe. Ooh. Probably not. Anyways, I ran like a five fifty mile. Yeah, I don't know. I've just been getting into running a lot lately. I used to be really confused as to why, like, I thought running was the dumbest hobby ever, but now I'm all doped up on those running endorphins, and I think it's really fun, so. It's a dumb hobby. Ah, yeah, you're right, it is dumb. But (laughs) people didn't come here to hear about our dumb hobbies. People came here to hear about baseball, and specifically the Seattle Mariners, so let's get into it. Um, But before we do that, standings, as we do each week. So starting in the NL from East Coast to West, Washington Nationals are leading the East, the Chicago Cubs still leading the Central, and the San Francisco Giants hanging in there in the West. The Giants, Mike, even years, baby. I'm gonna say it every <laughs> I'm gonna say it every episode until they're not in first place anymore. And it looks like I'm gonna be saying that for a while because their next closest competition is LA at four games back. Over a whole season, I'll take LA over the Giants. Uh, we'll have to see about that. All right, and in the American yeah. League, oh, sorry, did you have something you wanted to say? Um, yeah, the last time I checked, the Cubs were on pace for 116 wins, which would tie for the best ever with the 2001 Mariners and the Cubs like 100 years ago. 
Yeah, the 19 aught Cubs or something like that. Yeah, right. that's like exciting. I'm excited for the Cubs. It's cool anytime someone is like spectacular in a sport. You know what I mean? That's like what we right. watch sports for is to see like these crazy uh, performances. But it would just suck to have the Mariners record beaten. Like if they win 117 games, I'm going to be kind of bummed out. If they win right. 116 games, I'm going to be kind of bummed out because then that adds another asterisk to our record. I would but. like to take a second right here to uh, disagree with you a little um, I am actively, thoroughly rooting against the Golden State Warriors right now. Oh, are you? I'm not much of a football. <laughs> I'm so football. much. I'm so much not a basketball fan that I just called it football. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not much of a basketball fan, so I would be way uh, over my head trying to talk about it. But I mean, if I had to choose, I would root Warriors. For the reason you know, I just said, it's exciting to see like peak level performance on an individual level and on a team level to see right. j- how good someone or some team can be. I am just tired of LeBron not getting any help from his team, and I'm tired of being told that I need to love Steph Curry. That being said, let's, let's move on to the, to the AL. Yeah, that's the last thing I can say about basketball or football, so that's good. You want to move on. All right. Yeah. AL East, the Orioles and the Red Sox are still knotted up at first, uh, wow. knotted up in first place. Yeah, that was the case last week, and that's still the case today. It's a really close race, so that'll be fun to watch going down the stretch. Cleveland Indians are leading the Central, starting to pull away from Kansas City a little bit. Uh, 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 the Cleveland American Indians. Uh, yes, pardon me, Cleveland Native Americans. How un-PC of me. I think we've already lost our politically correct audience when we called Ichiro Oriental. <laughs> So, <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. And in the AL West, the Texas Rangers, five games ahead of your Seattle Mariners. Boo-hoo. Ooh, yes, I know. Yes. We're all really sad about that. Um, but uh, that's for good reason. We just dropped two of three games to the Rangers. Um, and prior to that, we split a four-game series with the Cleveland Indians. So uh, would you like to talk about some of last week's goings-on, Michael? We split... Indians. Yeah, uh, and the Indians, like I said, yeah, uh, they're a good team right now. They're leading their division. Leading their division. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it feels bad to lose against the Rangers, but... Of course it does. You know, coming into this year, I... Shoot, I probably thought they were going to finish fourth in the division, but they've been a really legitimate team, and they've been without Beltre for a week or two. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know. I can hate on them all I want, which I will. I will hate on them. Totally. But they've been really good. Yeah. Uh, if there's one thing I think we can take away from this is we're still ahead of the rest of the pack as far as the division goes because we are five games back and the next closest is Houston at 10 games back. So really this is starting to look like a two-horse race in our division. So just so long as we can stay relatively close to Texas, it's not like we've got the other teams to worry about as well. By the time, let's see. I'm going to make a prediction right now. By the time we get to the end of July... End of July, uh, okay. Look for... So it's the, it's Astros. the 13th right now, so you've got like another two weeks before the end of July. Nope, that's June. <laughs> oh, yeah. So this is like, um, you know, six weeks out. <laughs> okay. Clearly, I don't know how calendars work. Go ahead. I think it's going to be the Astros, the Rangers, and the Mariners. And really? it's going to be a, a three-legged race. You think 
we're going to be in third? Are you saying in that order or just you think the Astros are going to pull back within striking distance? Absolutely. I thought uh, for game one, I thought they were the best team in the AL West. They always have that potential, but it seems so like razor thin. It seems like they're always on the, everyone's always like, on the verge of busting, especially <laughs> the Mariners for the past three years. Everybody's always on the verge of busting. It's like uh, the Astros have blue ah. balls. Yeah. Ah. Uh, oh. Making good use of that explicit tag on iTunes right now. Right. Uh, wieners, everybody. Am I right? No. <laughs> uh, yeah, but anyway. I, I the... think the, I think the Astros are legitimate. I think they're I think they're good. Uh, I don't so. I don't know enough to refute that. I. Don't think they're very good, but I'm just basing that off of their uh, record thus far. So I'm when in doubt. When in doubt, I expect trends to stay as they are. But uh, we hit some dingers last week. I don't know how to segue into that, but I just wanted to bring up that we hit a lot of home runs, and actually, the Mariners are leading all of baseball in home runs. I'm not sure if it's they're leading the American League or the MLB, but we're leading something in home runs, which is pretty crazy. Considering we play half our games at Safeco Field. Well, it's funny because that is all Jack Zrenzik for, you know, the past three years of his, uh, you know, Mariners tenure. Yeah. That's all he built our team on. Exactly. Um, looking at the leaderboards, we're number two behind the Orioles. Oh, with damn. 93. Okay. The Braves have 25. Well, the Braves are also just the absolute worst. Uh, the Braves' okay. winning percentage is lower than Robinson Cano's batting average. The, Ra- <laughs> the Braves have 25 home runs, so they're 30th in the league. The 29th is the Marlins with 52, which means they have more than two times the amount of the Braves. Wow. Some people have been saying, though, that the Braves are tanking this season semi-intentionally for draft pick reasons. Fuck the Braves, man. Whatever. Yeah, I hate uh, their shitty city and state, so which I've never been to and don't know anything about, but I'm just going to go ahead and make a bold prediction and say they probably suck. Yeah, whatever, man. It's I in the South, like saying, and I feel I like the like South blows. I teams for, for not really any good reason. Yeah, by the end of the season, I feel like I'm going to be able to clip together a compilation of you saying fuck each every and every team. team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Besides the Mariners. Uh, no, I guarantee. Uh, yeah, I'm sure at one point in the season you will be saying fuck the Mariners. All right, we've we've gone off schedule a little bit, Michael, so I think we ought to uh, circle back around to what we planned on talking Bring about today. Back in. Yeah, let's uh, rein this back in and talk about a man that's after my heart, Day Ho Lee, who has been performing at a pretty impressive clip uh, in limited playing time, of course, but still, I mean, Mike, what do you have to say about Day Ho? So, small sample size. Aside, and it's not that small of a sample. How many uh, plate appearances are we dealing with here? Does he have on the year? Yeah. 110. Okay, so. so. A a decent amount. Compared to other players thus far, he has uh, a decent amount of plate appearances. Over his career, obviously, this is his first season, so we don't have that much to pull from. Right. But uh, using what we have, because we don't have that much, Dejo Lee appears to be a very capable, legitimate, everyday first baseman. He, once again, small sample size, but against righties, he has a 154 weighted runs created plus, which is 54% over league average. And against lefties, he has a 
pretty similar 160 weighted runs created plus, which is 60% over league average. So pretty much against everyone so far, he's been really, really good. Wow. Um, you one know, caveat. I was, oh, go, go ahead and say your caveat first, and then I'll bring in my point. I don't know if anyone's really realized this, but Dehoe doesn't have any doubles or triples. Really? So he has... Only singles yeah, and home runs? He has 32 hits. And all of them are dingers and home runs. Wow. Oh, fuck. Dingers and singles. <laughs> dingers and home runs. Yeah. Uh, no, that, they're, they're all dingers and home runs. <laughs> that is pretty crazy. I hadn't noticed that. I don't even know how to feel about that. Like, on the one hand, um, I feel like, well, whatever. Home runs are better than doubles, so who cares? Right. And I obviously don't expect him to have any triples because uh, he's a bit of a bigger dude. But... Yeah, he'll never have a triple. The doubles, I don't know, Benji Molina had a triple, and he's a fat he, fuck. You know what, something, something <laughs> with context, something had to have happened with that, with that poor uh, ball. Yeah, I mean, it got kicked around a little bit, but it was a legit triple. It wasn't like it was a double with an error attached to it. It was right, like, right. it was ruled a triple, but anyhow, we digress yet again. Uh, so, one thing, with that, oh, no, no, you go. Well, all I was going to say regarding his splits and specifically his weighted runs created for those splits. Uh, so when Deholi doesn't have the platoon advantage, he has a 154 weighted runs created plus. Is that correct? So when he's facing right. right-handed pitching and he's a right-handed pitcher, um, he's hitting 54% above league average. Uh, right. And it was even better before, but, you know, he's regressing towards the mean. His, his right. path up against righties is... Uh, about 50 points too high right now, so it, it'll it'll keep going down, but yeah. So you said an argument could possibly be made to have him be our everyday sh- uh, first baseman rather than platooning with Adam Lind. And I think so. And one thing I would bring up in that conversation is that his numbers against right-handed pitching might be a little bit inflated because he is a platoon player. The only time we let him hit against a right-handed pitcher it's probably going to be a pitcher that's pretty inferior you know what i mean it's going to be a guy probably it's going to probably be a bullpen pitcher which are just naturally inferior starters or at a point in the game when it the game is so out of hand it doesn't matter as far as like pinch hitting for him goes so you know what surveyus actually he's he's brought him in against righties regardless of you know obviously that's true the, we have seen that before advantage. yeah yeah uh I, um, i'm not part, saying part, part of that could play into your argument that you know uh, uh bullpen pitchers you know they're all failed pitchers so or failed starters right so they might be inferior but yeah he regardless he's hitting righties really well um the sample size between them is pretty similar it's He's faced 60 lefties and 50 righties. Hmm. But, yeah, I'd, I'd expect his splits against righties to get a little worse. Yeah, and I'm not saying that's necessarily the case, but it's just something I wanted to bring up, uh, that the quality of competition might not necessarily be as high. So if you were to right. just face full playing time, I'd expect those numbers to go down even more than re- like simple regression might suggest. But still, right. it, it's I, like I an... Think in- that's a- I think that's a more than fair argument. It's like an interesting theory, though, because Adam Lind still, you know, we see like some flashes of what he could be, but I, 
I don't know, I'd be willing to go down the road of just giving Deho full playing time and seeing what he could do. Because imagine what you could be wasting if those numbers are like his true talent. Imagine what you could be wasting by giving half of his ABs to Lind, who is, you know, mediocre. I would like to, I'd like to, you know, defend Adam Lind here because uh, if you look at the season stats, he struggled in the first month and he struggled pretty hard. And, you know, if you look at his platoon splits, He's running reverse splits right now, which, if you know Adam Lynn, to, uh, from, I think, 2002 to 2015, is the most extreme hitter between lefties and righties in the MLB. So, you know, in a 13-year sample, he has a 76% difference between uh, weighted runs graded between left-handed pitchers and right-handed pitchers. And so, you know, we know we know that him running reverse splits is noise. We know he's a lot better against righties and abysmal against lefties. Right, but the only but, problem is... Oh, sorry, go ahead. But from May 8th, which is about a month ago, Adam Lind owns a 286 average, a 337 on base percentage, and a 584 slugging percentage, which is a really good triple slash. He right. also has a 382 weighted on base average and I'm sorry. a 147... Way to run straight plus. Real quick, can you repeat that qualifier since when? Uh, since May 8th. Okay, so, so about a month. A month. Uh, right. That's a fair amount of time. Okay. Yeah, what I was going to say earlier is that you can point to him running reverse splits and be like, okay, so clearly this wouldn't make any sense over a full season time, so something is going to change here. But that doesn't right. necessarily mean that it's going to change in the right direction. It could just mean that his platoon disadvantage numbers drop to meet his platoon advantage numbers rather than the other way around. But, like right, you said... Right. He, over the season, he hasn't hit well enough against righties to, to match what we know of Adam Lind. Yeah, you should hope so, anyway. Uh, yeah, right. uh, hopefully Adam Lind isn't broken, and either way, I'm fairly optimistic about what's going on at first base. Uh, I think I could definitely see Adam Lind uh, having a strong second half, and I could definitely see Deho Lee being a beast. <laughs> And I would honestly really just love to see Deho get full-time at first base because he's just a fun guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's really it's really cool uh, going to Safeco, and when he comes up, now that everyone is, like, on board and, like, knows who he is and oh, he's been doing a really good job, I think whoever came up with the idea to play that Deho every time he comes up to bat, that's brilliant. Yeah. Because people love singing along and, like, chanting to stuff like that. You know what I mean? And actually, they they played that at baseball games before. Exactly. They, well, because it, it, you know? it doesn't actually say Deho. It just says, right. hey-ho. But when they put yeah. the words up on the screen to say that say Deho, your ear yeah. hears it as that. Yeah, and yeah. so they're just repurposing something. But it was, like, brilliant marketing because you go to Safeco and everyone, like, cheers along with that. Everyone does it. It's so fun. He has a, he has a big fan base like a Korean fan base. Oh yeah. Um, because Korean players aren't that often there. Uh, I think there's like there's been Korean players. Yeah, there's like came there's like Jung Ho Kang and like Wei yeah. Yin, Wei Yin Chen was Korean, I believe. And and they've been pretty successful so far. So uh, there's. I think Korea know. is probably a fairly untapped market still. You know what I mean? Like we had that huge influx. Every once in a while, you get a huge influx of uh, some of the best players from foreign countries. Lately, it's kind of right. been the Dominican, where you get players like, you know... Well, Japan. Well, yeah, it was Japan back when uh, players like Hideki Matsui and Ichiro and... Tanaka, that's recent. 
yeah, Masahiro Tanaka. People, I mean, players are still coming from Japan, but I feel like there's, like, a trendy country every year that a ton of players come from. And I feel like Korea could be be coming up soon. But, yeah, thanks for uh, talking about Deho with me, Mike. That's always fun. Yeah. I I, I just want to kind of end this with, um, right now, I would probably just mostly leave uh, Adam Land playing against righties, Deho's against lefties. If you wanted to kind of leave Deho in every day, pretty much, and throw Adam Land in uh, to give him days off every once in a while, I wouldn't be that opposed. And but... honestly, I think, how would you feel about this, getting Deho some reps at DH and throwing Cruz in the field every now and then, maybe instead of well, Aoki? Because I don't think... I don't think Cruz's outfield defense is as bad as he has the reputation for because right. he, you know, you look at his build and you kind of assume he's bad at defense and he's not great, but you assume he sucks because he's like a power right. hitter and he's bulky. Uh, and so your mind just uh, instantly assumes he's slow and poor defense, yeah. but really he's got a good arm and he doesn't take, sometimes he takes some questionable, like sketchy looking routes, but yeah. he, you know, he usually ends up making some weird slide or dive in order to make up for it. And Aoki hasn't been fantastic, so getting both well, of those bats in our lineup in lieu of Aoki, yeah, I think right. it's something we could try. That's one thing that we could do, and we, we have flexibility uh, with kind of the trifecta of Lens, Deho, and Cruz. So just any combination of the three against righties, this is. And, you know, that makes Cruz happy, but... I think Deho Lee should make an appearance in every game, pretty much, as a pinch hitter or in the lineup. Yeah, I would not be opposed to that idea. You know how much I love the guy. In fact, just before we started recording, I was telling Michael how badly I wanted to get a Deho Lee jersey, even though he... Uh, <laughs> I advise against it because in, I think, eight days, he turns 34, and Dustin won the James Jones jersey two years ago. So. Hey... If I would have got that James Jones jersey, I would still be wearing it, ironically, to this day. I really just think it's cool to have a 99 jersey, but anyway. I think jerseys are fun to wear, ironically. Jerseys, I I don't know what to do with my Dustin Ackley jersey. I'm probably going to burn it. Yeah, you can uh, put it on your like Dustin Ackley effigy that you keep in your... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> keep in your closet, and you can have, like, a ceremony. Take all your Dustin Ackley things and put them into a pile and light them on fire. Like, uh, like that, what's that, uh, in Major League with that, uh, fucking, what's that guy's name? I don't know, I've never seen that movie, but I know Charlie Sheen's in it, right? Yeah, it was kind of racist. Actually, um... Oh, yeah, cause they played for the Native Americans, didn't they? Cleveland Native Americans. Well, yeah, but, hold on, I'm gonna look this up real quick. You can just break... Yeah. Shit, I'll take this opportunity to talk about how much I love Red Hook ESB. <laughs> this is my right. fucking jam. It's one of my favorite beers. And Red Hook... Drink Red Hook ESB? Yeah. This one is free. In the future, Red Hook, you're going to have to pay me to plug you like this. But in the meantime, yeah. Red Hook ESB is my jam. All right, you got it? Yeah, it's Pedro Serrano. Do you remember? Um, no. He was played by... I, think- I told you I've never even seen this movie. Oh, you haven't? No. Oh, well, it's kind of messed up. He's like, he's a black guy playing someone who's not black, and... Ooh. Do they make him yeah. do, like, do they make him do, like, white face? No, he's, 
he's, he's playing someone named Pedro Serrano. Oh, so he's playing like a Dominican person. So I'm yeah, notoriously like, bad at telling when people are Dominican and when they're African American. So yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty messed up. For for a little while, I thought David Ortiz was African American. Yeah, you did. But they make him do weird, like uh, what's it called, like spiritual voodoo kind of shit. Yeah. And yeah, it's pretty racist. <laughs> that Why is a I tiny bit. Uh, you're gonna burn Dustin Ackley stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, it's because I have two Dustin Ackley Express trains. <laughs> you two do. Dustin Ackley, gnomes. Two Dustin Ackley gnomes and one Dustin Ackley jersey that I spent like a hundred forty dollars on. Hey, so long as we're talking about like failed merchandise that we have, and like the players ended up sucking. I have yeah. I have signed baseballs from James Paxton, Taiwan Walker, and Danny Holton. You know, back when they uh, were like the big three. The big three. And, I and, hope you don't forget that. We both have a Nick Franklin and Mike Zanino ball. Uh, I left that at my mom's house when I moved out. That's how much of a shit I gave about that. Yeah. I, okay. Yeah. Anyways. Anyway. Yeah, I think we ought to move on. Mike and I have a lot of topics to uh, get to tonight. So pitching is also a concern of ours. Uh, Felix Hernandez, the most recent news on his injury is he doesn't have a timetable for return. So at this time, you well. can't really make any assumptions about how soon we'll be back, so that means for the foreseeable future, it's going to be James Paxton in his place. And based on what I think Mike feels about James Paxton, that might not be a bad thing, right? I think James Paxton in the rotation right now is the most exciting starter. Yeah, uh, I'd say I'd say he's kind of our de facto ace without Felix here. I mean, you kind could of. say... You know, because who else would it be? It's certainly not Wade Miley or Carnes. Um, Walker. Uh, Iwakuma has, like, that... He, he's got, like, that X-Factor stuff where some people might call him an ace because he's like, oh, he's gritty and he's a veteran and, like, he's yeah. pitched a no-hitter before, you know, stuff like that. You could say maybe Walker. And I'd be like, eh, okay. I would, I would say Walker. I could see Walker. not Paxton. But I would ultimately go with Paxton as our ace even though he's only had three starts on the season, mainly just because his stuff, as far as what you can just see with your eyes without looking at the stat page, it's, I mean, think of another starter in the American League that throws the kind of pitches he does. Like, that mixture of uh, velocity on his fastball and break on his breaking pitches, it's like, I don't know how anybody hits him. He's the hardest-throwing lefty in baseball that's not Aroldis Chapman. Right. And Aroldis Chapman's a closer. Yeah, and it's not fair to ever count Aroldis Chapman in any conversation, really, just because he is an outlier uh, of a human being. But, right. uh, I mean, James Paxton as a starter, I mean, throwing triple digits as a starter is... I know throwing triple digits is getting more and more common in baseball, but doing it as a starter, that's still pretty unheard of. Cindergaard does it, but in terms of being a lefty, Paxton's an anomaly. Yeah, totally. So uh, I'm I'm pretty excited looking forward. He had two very solid starts this week to go with his... I mean, he got roughed up in his first start. Uh, he, he started off with... He gave up seven runs. I'm, I'm kind of willing... Someone's, if someone's going to go up seven runs, I would love to see them do it the way Paxton did it. Right. He, it was like home runs and walks he just did not have any command that night and also i don't think all seven of those were earned if memory serves there were some errors that really extended innings for him so in all reality i'm kind of fine with scrubbing that start from the history books and sort of starting fresh with these most recent two because 
first of all, it's convenient, and I just want to say he's good. But also, I don't know. I think you could make an argument like, oh, it's his first start. You could even make like the nerves argument. Be like, oh, he's nervous. It's his first start of the season. He's nervous. I'm just excited about him. His his caper nine is sky high right now. I think it's like 12. His yeah. walks are down. His dinger rates are down. Obviously, he's only three starts in. But he's averaging 98.5 on his four seam, which is crazy. <laughs> Insane. Last year, he, he averaged 93 to 95.5. I was so. going to say, it... Would you chalk that up to his mechanical adjustments, dropping his arm slot from that 12 o'clock, like, straight over the top to that little bit more of a three-quarters angle? Yeah, yeah. It, uh, I think it's easier to throw hard out of that slot. And he by mo- no means throws out of a, a three-quarter, but it, it's more of a three-quarter than before. Right. Um, and I, I heard Ryan Divish say that even James Faxon admitted that in double A he threw out of more of uh, his current or uh, arm slot or three quarter arm slot, mm-hmm. and he kind of just more and more went over the top. And it, I don't think it really helped him. It, it gave him that lap problem, and he's obviously throwing harder now. So right, uh, I'd say I stick with it. In, in prior podcasts, he dropped to more of a three quarter arm slot. He flattened his his right arm, so uh, it's just a more natural movement. Which, right, uh, I think has obviously made all the difference, and it's given this curve more horizontal break, so it's helping, you know, multiple pitches, and, and I think he's he's got to think less about it, so I, I think he's a little less tentative of a pitcher now, and it's made all the difference. Yeah, I'm really excited to watch Paxton going forward. The only thing that does kind of suck is for some reason, I always thought that delivery just looked so cool, that straight over-the-top lefty delivery. I just... There's something that just, like, is pleasing to the eye about that. You know what I mean? I think that He I, just I looks like a windmill. Like, it, the it, way... It looked, it looked like they just taught him how to throw this way, and that, you know, he was practicing. That's how it looked to me. Yeah, but... I like it. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I, just, I always thought it looked cool. Like when we when we right. used to play like pickup wiffle ball games and stuff, I used to always try to pitch like James Paxton, like straight over the top like that. Yeah, you also tried to bat like Mike Morse. So, <laughs> dude, and I I did bat like Mike Morse in the sense that I struck out a lot and then eventually uh, had to leave the league. So. Right. I I would like to note that I'm a I'm a natural right-handed hitter. Oh my god! I have a knack I have a knack for <laughs> batting switch and being good at it. So that's my claim to fame. All right, so I think that's some good coverage of the rotation. But we also have another side of pitching, which is the bullpen. I know you and I have covered this on previous podcasts, but uh, the bullpen is always like a mercurial thing, and you've got right. guys coming in and out of it all the time, and performance changing pretty constantly so i know you had something to say about the bullpen today i think after last night people and just because he's a closer people are going to be prone to poo poo steve shishek and and can you I, just remind everybody what happened last night with shishek uh he gave up oh, fuck i know you didn't see it but oh man mike you're calling gave, me out right now i'm <laughs> not watching the games he gave up a hell of a home run against Prince Fielder, and Prince really pimped it. He, you know, he shit on this ball. Man, that's reminiscent of the Albert Pujols home run that was hit uh, last month. But anyway, continue. But yeah, Shishek, people are, I think he's blown four saves now uh, over the season. And 
I really like him. I, he's he's not a shut down, you know, uh, Aroldis Chapman or or Andrew Miller or Mariano Rivera closer, but I think overall he's he's been really solid. He's made a couple mistakes and they've caused some losses, but uh, a lot of those losses have been, you know, there's a blooper that he lost off of. This is the second time that he made a mistake against a, a powerful hitter that's struggling. And his peripherals are really good. He, he needs to bring the dingers down, obviously. But his contact percentage is at a career low. His swinging strike percentage is at a career high. His outside swing percentage is at a career high. His inside zone swing uh, percentage is at a career low. I know that's a lot of you know information to take in. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a, a lot of numbers to throw at once. But uh, I get the idea. I mean, everything, all indicators point towards... Him and being pretty good. Being, yeah, productive. And that's, I mean, first of all, I'd like to address the fact that you said he's no Aroldis Chapman or Mariano Rivera or whatever. And so I think he gets a little bit of a bad rap because he's like, he's not flashy and he's not sexy like that. Like a lot of closers have like that overpowering element to him. And C-Shack isn't an overpowerer. Uh, he's like a slider guy. Right. And James Paxton is going to go in the game, throw 100, and then Edwin Diaz is going to come in and throw damn near 100 yeah and then, and then, and then you see she's gonna come in and throw sinkers yeah throw with that 93 with that crazy uh like release point that's like super low and i imagine that'd be like hard to pick up after i like it yeah yeah um, i like him a so, lot too she's i i think maybe down the line he's not gonna be our closer i i think it's gonna take you know an implosion for them to take his his job away but I feel good about him overall as a piece in the bullpen. I think he's one of our best pieces uh, at this point. Maybe you could argue Edwin Diaz down the line, but I feel no reason to poo-poo him or, or think that. <laughs> don't you smile at me? <laughs> I just that, I just like the use of poo-poo. <laughs> I know, um, but I just think he has done a pretty admirable job. And uh, on the flip side of that. There's a couple pictures that I want to talk about in more of a negative light. And the first one is someone who I feel the Mariners Twitter community and maybe the broadcast team, etc., is really high on. That's Mike Montgomery. And I'm I'm not as high on him as everyone else is. I think he's probably the pitcher that's pitching over his head the most right now uh, due to his lack of command. Um his dinger rates are really low right now, so they should regress to the mean pretty good. And if he still has uh, value at the deadline, I think we should deal him, honestly. I feel way better about Vidal Nuno as an option, as a spot starter, as a long reliever, as, you know, just someone to pitch in high-leverage situations. So I'm not a Mike Montgomery guy. Uh, I don't think he's the worst, but I think if he has value at that point, we should trade hmm. him. Yeah, that's a pretty uh, smart idea, actually. I hadn't thought about that. I wish I'd thought about that last week when we were talking about possible trade deadline moves. But, uh, yeah, that's actually a pretty interesting thought. We're yeah, going to have and, some surplus bullpen arms once some of these guys gradually get off the DL. And so yeah. just so long as other people are able to stay healthy and we can kind of piece together a full healthy bullpen uh, and maybe like even have one or two extra guys waiting in the wings... Like, maybe once some guys get healthy, we could send Edwin Diaz back down for some more seasoning and know that he's down in AAA should we need him and then be able to trade Mike Montgomery in, like, a package 
for somebody else. Because Mike Montgomery right. could be a nice little complimentary piece in a package that has prospects and one guy that's like major league ready. You know what I'm saying? Right. Huh. It's a very good and idea. The second guy that I'm really not a fan of, and I think we use him a little. Ah, we've used him in some situations that I really disagree with, and I think last game or two games ago we brought him in right after our. I, don't recall obviously but right after our starter was in and that's steve johnson oh uh, yes good old white bread steve johnson <laughs> i don't know anything about that guy all i know is that he sounds like a create a player you would make on like mlb 2k 11 which is <laughs> the most recent baseball game i still play i still play 2k 11 and i think the runaround on steve johnson is he's not good uh he doesn't have good command he gives up too many dinners uh, and if, if we keep giving them uh, opportunities to pitch, he's going to suck. So I'm after Joel Peralta left, Steve Johnson is my next guy to go after. I don't think he's good. I don't like him. All right, he's on chopping block. But, I mean, uh, I imagine it can't be any more than 18 innings he's pitched this season, right? So, I mean, really, 15, yeah. really small sample size you're working with. That's like the equivalent of two starts from a starter. But I agree – they kind of have to have a shorter leash as far as innings go than starters do before you take them right. out of their job because they're not going to get that many innings. So you have to be good in those few innings you get. Uh, otherwise, well, you're going to lose your job. Starters, or, uh, relievers is that easier to pitch in those situations than it is for starters. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, generally, generally, when you're using stats like FIP or Sierra, you give about something like a point four difference to uh, relievers, you pretty much account for them being better to a certain degree. Oh, okay. I didn't know that, but I guess that sort of makes sense. So those two guys I'm not super high on. I think really quick we should talk about Edwin Diaz, his debut. He looked really good. Pretty much everything DePoto said about him, you know, served to be true. He has plus fastball velocity in life. His breaking ball sometimes a plus. And it kind of looks like, you know, it, it's a good transition to move the reliever because he doesn't have that third pitch. And uh, in his second appearance, that was true. He did, he did not have his slider, and he looked a lot more mortal than he did in his uh, debut. So going forward, Edwin Diaz is really exciting. Really fucking exciting. Yeah, I agree. All right, well, uh, we've still got a lot to cover in this episode, so I think we're going to wrap up this first half right now and go to break. When we come back, Michael and I are going to talk about the draft that just took place. We've got a lot to talk about when it comes to the draft. And stick around to see the return of our most popular segment, backed by popular demand. So stay with us on Griffey's Naptime Podcast. I'm glowed up. Hey everybody, Harold Reynolds here, former Seattle Mariner. I'm here to tell you to steer clear of Griffey's Naptime Podcast. These guys don't know what baseball is all about. They're coming in here with their fancy numbers and analysis and thinking about the game. That's not the way I did it when I played. I just went out there and closed my eyes and I hit that ball. And you know what? If you want to tell them how bad their podcast is, you can rate and review them on iTunes. In fact, just give them five stars for all I care. I don't give a shit. I'm Harold Reynolds. All right, I'll see you later. 
absolutely out my doom Stuck in my capital, I call in my legacy Now tell me, is you with me, with me, with me, chaperone Full-time killing, bad hole driller Child for the kitten, mellow yellow lemon I'm glowed up I'm glowed up Alright, and we're back on Griffey's Naptime Podcast I'm Dustin, here with Michael Ajetto, and thank you so much to Harold Reynolds for that uh, glowing review of our show. I don't know, that was a little bit rude, but he's right. I expected a a little better. It was nice of him, I guess. Yeah, it was nice of him to show up, but he is right. We would really appreciate it if you would rate and review us on iTunes, maybe throw us a subscribe, and you can also follow Mike and I on Twitter. I am at Compass Rumpus, and uh, Michael uh, Michael is... uh, at Sounding Off Blog. So we've got the draft to talk about, which we're going to get into right now. The Mariners' first-round draft selection, we were 11th overall, and we used our 11th overall pick to sign center fielder out of Mercer University, Kyle Lewis. Kyle Lewis was considered by some to be the best bat in the entire draft, and from what I've heard, it sounds like people are pretty impressed that we were able to sign Lewis this low. It sounds like he fell to us quite a bit. Some teams were worried about what he was asking for uh, as far as a signing bonus goes, but the Mariners were actually able to sign him within 48 hours of drafting him. We signed him uh, to a $3 million deal, which was within our slot allotment uh, for the draft. So I think everybody is pretty pumped up about this pick. What do you have to say about it, Mike? Uh, I'm really excited. Didn't think he'd fall to us. I, I, he could have gone. Shoot, some people said he could have gone first overall. So um, yeah, I don't know about first overall. I heard like top three or five picks. First overall. Uh, if he went to a better school, I I think he might have he might have gone first. That's overall. true. That was one of the biggest concerns amongst a few. Uh, that was one of the bigger concerns about Kyle Lewis was that. He pitched, what's that league? Is it called like the Cape League? Uh, no. Well, regardless, he went to kind of a small school, and so people are saying, oh, well, he wasn't really tested against, quote, elite arms. But still, I mean, the tools, as far as like what scouts have said, it looks like the tools are there, and his numbers were there too, regardless of level of competition. He Uh, had some gaudy numbers. Yeah, he did. Do you want to talk about those a little bit, Mike? Yeah, um, so right off the bat, what happened? Anyways, uh, <laughs> a little rim shot there. Don't worry, Mike, I'll put in a sound effect of a rim shot right there. Oh, uh, thanks. Yeah. Um, so some people immediately, uh, I forgot who said this, but they gave him an Adam Jones comp, maybe mixed with a little Jermaine Dye, which, you know, both players are pretty solid they're very different but uh, right and i think comps can be i think comps can be pretty lazy especially when they fall a wrong like i i don't mean to really get into this uh but especially when they fall especially when they fall along like racial boundaries you know what i'm talking about it's like oh yeah this kid could be the next adam jones or the jermaine die and it's like are you just comparing him to black players? Because then it seems I, like you're being lazy. I wanted to bring this up. Because it seems like you're just looking at him and being like, oh, he looks like this, but it has nothing to do with his skill set. The comps I have for him are Adam Jones mixed with Jermaine Dye, some Mike Cameron to a setup and stance. Yeah, see um, what I mean? Uh, a, a right-handed version of Jason Hayward. 
So, you know, the, the, I don't know why the columns can't be cross-racial. It really bugs me. Um, well, I mean, they can't be, especially when you consider the fact that only, what, like 9% maybe of MLB players are African-American. And less, he just, honestly. I think, yeah, I think it might actually be closer to like 5%. And he just yeah, you're, happens. You're, you're gonna go out of your way to, he, to say, you know, he was maybe like Mike Cameron, who played ten years right. ago. Right. I'm not saying it's something like nefarious or even bad. I'm just saying it's lazy. Like you're looking at a player and being like, oh yeah, he's like other athletic uh, African American baseball players, and so I think it's just a bit lazy in that regard. Well, but uh, I think it's a little more, I guess, nefarious than one would think because. You know, people kind of have these schemas for what different players are. So, you know, I, I actually it can it can have implications for like the application of using the player. We had Austin Jackson last year, and Lloyd McClendon uh, insisted on making him steal bases, and he was bad at it. And, and you know, people will say, "Oh, Austin Jackson's a really fast player," because their schema for a black person is that he's fast, and Austin Jackson's not that fast. You know, I'm actually really glad we talked about this. I think we brought up something that isn't talked about all that often in the baseball sphere, but I think it's something that's pretty important. Mike and I are out here uh, bringing racial harmony to the sport of baseball. I think it's pretty incredible. I'll be expected to have my number retired in every baseball stadium, hanging up in the rafters uh, for the work I've done here. What would your number be? Double zero, baby. Really? Yeah. Is that because... That's how many hits you had in eighth grade. Oh shit! <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I'd probably do three or fifteen. I really like those numbers. All right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we digress as we often do, but I do have a couple more things I want to talk about uh, with Kyle Lewis. Um, yeah. Some things that seem to pop out a lot to me when I'm sort of reading through his profile. Right. People say people talk a lot about his bat speed. They say he's very quick through the zone which is nice. Obviously, that can translate to a lot of power. It's a really, really good trait. As well as... Right, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. It is a very good trait to have as a hitter. And it translates to power as well as contact. But some concerns people have expressed are that he has a pretty convoluted stance. Not his stance so much as his leg kick. They say he's got a pretty high leg kick that he uses as a timing mechanism, but they could see it as like an unneeded complication. And also, they um, said he's pretty like long through the zone, if that makes sense in his right. swing. Um, but yeah, and actually, those are uh, the two. He has a really unconventional stance and mechanics. And first, to touch on the leg kick, Keith Law, who I have you know a lot of reverence for as uh, an analyst, says he has thirty homer potential, but someone is going to have to kill his leg kick and quiet down his approach to get that power to play. He ranked him eighth overall on his big board. Um. And right, so uh, I think you know the leg kick makes a little bit a uh, little bit of sense when you talk about maybe a Mike Cameron comp, and he's got an elongated bat pass, which means you know he he can be a little long on some swings, right? Even, even which, though he's got a quick swing. Yeah, yeah, his hands are supposedly fast, but he's slow through the zone, which people say translates to a lot of like swinging and missing. Right. And uh, so, so that's something for, to keep an eye on. Such a high growth, or uh, I guess such a high pick. He's got more to his stance and and mechanics than one would expect, or, or that's you know so common. Right. Uh, so he 
played in center field in college and in high school. Mike, in your research, did you see anything about uh, whether people think he's going to be able to stick at center field or maybe if he might have to transition to a corner outfield spot? Because obviously um, the bat plays a lot better if he can stay at center field, which is a higher, uh, more demanding defensive position. He's 6'4", 210, and some people think with his build he can add 15 pounds. So I think in terms, from what I've kind of gathered and corroborated, uh, in terms of defense, I might compare him to Michael Saunders. Oh yeah, I could see that. A, like, uh, lanky, tall guy. Right. Uh, yeah. Above average maybe plus in the corners but pretty average or maybe even below average in center right so i think ideally you'd want you know leonis martin boot pal uh yeah you know boot pal in center so i think if you know you had to throw him in center you could probably do it as far as i know but he's not a plus defender there by any means all right. Well, that sounds really awesome. Let's move on to the Mariners' uh, second round pick, a man oh, by the whoa. name. Oh, whoa. pardon me. Oh, no. whoa, hold oh, your horses. A lot of stuff to say. Okay. All right. Let's hear it. So he's a good athlete. He played basketball and baseball in college or uh, in high school. He has a tendency to get out in front of breaking balls, so that might be a concern to maybe his pitch recognition or plate approach. Down the line, he could have the average to support, uh, you know, 30-plus stingers. So uh, he's probably not going to be, like, a high-average guy, but, you know, he's got the, the power to make up for it. And I have some opinions of some pretty highly regarded people. I'm a pretty big fan of John Sickles and the work that he does with minor league players. He said his best physical tool is his raw power. Uh, his sling's a little noisy. He thought that he was a mid-first-round pick, at least, with a shot at the top 10, which turned out to be, you know, pretty true. Mm-hmm. His running speed and arm strength are at least average, and he should fit well in the corners, either corner. And he doesn't think the gaudy numbers are due to his metal bat, you know, or the competition. He thinks he's a really legitimate player, and that he would, you know, play to that level with, um, you know, at a high, uh, bigger school or right. conference. Jim Callis said that he's the best combination of ceiling and floor in the draft and that his concerns of quality of competition are overblown. He thinks he's a steal for the Mariners. He would have taken him first overall, and if he doesn't stick in center, his power profile is well in the corner. DePoto brought up that, you know, Tom McNamara was kind of, like, dejected and put his head down when he said that, uh, you know, they didn't have a shot at him. And McNamara thinks that he might be the best player in the country, the best college player in the country, uh, and I guess high school, if you know, you're talking about all of the draft players. Right. And I think it was McNamara that compared him to a right-handed uh, version of Jason Hayward with more power and less defense. Wow. Uh, I would fucking love a Jason Hayward. <laughs> no but, kidding. I think everybody would. Right. So um, that's that's everything that I have on Kyle Lewis. And, oh, boy, he's instantly uh, a top three prospect for us, I think. Most people say he slots probably at number two behind Tyler O'Neill. I'd agree with that. That all sounds really great. You know, like any prospect, he comes with his upside and he comes with his worries. But really, I think the general consensus is that the Mariners got a great steal here uh, with our first round pick. And I'd like to applaud Jerry DePoto, you know, for doing a pretty solid job in his first draft with the Mariners. I You've done well. I know this decision was sort of made for him just because of the way... It, it, Kyle Lewis know, just fell in our lap, right? Like it kind of, it was a no-brainer to make that choice. But 
it's not a no-brainer because 11 teams before us didn't make that decision. And so uh, I'd, I'd like to commend DePoto for a pretty good first draft based on what we know so far. All right, so if we may move on to the Mariners' second-round pick, Joe Man. Rizzo. Uh, yeah, he's interesting. Uh, he's he's 18 years old. He's out of high school. He's a pretty unique body type. He's a left-handed third baseman uh, like Kyle Seeger, and hmm. he's got a quote-unquote sweet, powerful lefty swing. Refined. He sounds like a really hard worker. Uh, it says refined by six years of daily batting practice. So I think he's been, you know, really anal and, and hardworking about, you know, his career as a baseball player. Uh-huh. Um, he's 5'11", 215. Uh, Kyle Seeger is 6'195", and, you know, he's a stocky dude, so this dude's pretty big. He has... He's a Pablo Sandoval best. type over there. Right. On the, uh, at the hot corner. He has, according to John Sickles, he's got the best power potential in the prep class, thanks to a lightning quick bat. Uh, his defense is kind of a question mark, which they actually said about Kyle Seeger coming out. He's kind of versatile in, in how people are projecting him. Tickle said he may be able to work, make it work at second base. Uh, he has really? the right field. Yeah. And he, he even said he wouldn't be surprised if he was converted to catcher. He said that he didn't expect him to see the second round, and he'd be gone by pick 25. So it sounds like we got another uh, kind of a steal here. Uh-huh. Yeah, and actually, I was listening to Effectively Wild, a podcast that I'm a big fan of, although they are our competition, so maybe I shouldn't necessarily glorify them. But hey, you have enough room in your life for more than one baseball podcast, right? You do. And uh, yeah. Sam Sam Miller and Ben Lindbergh do a really awesome job with Baseball Prospectus over at uh, Effectively Wild. But in yeah. their draft analysis, they had... And I'm going to embarrass myself here and say I don't remember the name of this guy. But he was uh, one of the preeminent draft experts. I know he did pretty much all the draft coverage for Fangraphs as far as writing on that site goes. And Tyler when, McDaniel? Mm, maybe. I don't know. I, I, I genuinely don't remember. I don't think it was him. But anyhow, point being, an expert, <laughs> when asked, uh, they asked him towards the end of the episode to just give him like, are there, you know, maybe two or three teams that stick out to you as having like pulled off a really good draft this year and he did mention Seattle as one of his uh, yeah as one of his top three and so uh, to get that sort of like third party outside of the organization confirmation that we did a good job because it's one thing to hear like all the hype from Mariners people saying we did well because it's like well no shit you think we did well you can't come out and be and say to the press like, "Oh, we had a shitty draft." So it's good to hear that confirmation from somebody that doesn't have a horse in the race to say, "Oh yeah, the Seattle Mariners seemed like they really came away with some decent pieces here." So we talked about Kyle Lewis, Joe Rizzo. If I'd like to just mention our third round pick, a man by the name of Bryson Brigman. I can barely read my own handwriting here. Is that is that correct? <laughs> yeah. And real quick, one more guess that this Fangraphs guy was a Eno Saris. No, it wasn't Eno Saros either. Okay. Um, maybe, uh, he, maybe he was a baseball prospectus guy. I think he was, actually, now that I think about it. Chris Crawford? I... You know what? I'm, I'm going to look it up. Hang on. I'm going to look it up. It was Christopher Crawford. Is that what you said? Yep. Yes. So, so, yes, it was Christopher Crawford. I know he's pretty respected within the within the prospect community. I. He is a Mariners fan, though. 
Oh, is he? I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, still, I mean, I had never heard of him before I listened to that episode, but I could tell he was an expert because he talked about how much he just was over the draft and how much he hated it. So in order to hate the draft that much, you have to really know a lot about it. So I assume <laughs> yeah. he was pretty smart. Yeah. Um, Anyways. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you'd like to Bryson just Brickman. yeah, mention our last pick. Uh, just first and foremost, and Bill, he's 5'11", 180. So same weight as Joe Rizzo, but, you know, or same height, but without 35 pounds. Yeah, I was going to say much thinner. So thin. last year, Kylie McDaniel on Fangrass was kind of talking about players in the draft, and he, at the time, said he was probably a second baseman without power. He's currently at shortstop, and he's, he's pretty solid. He, he has the range and the hands for short, but his arm is a little fringy. It's a little short for the pros. So he profiles probably a little better at second base. He's got a really contact-oriented approach, and so basically his appeal is tons of defensive potential, but not a lot of power. He's He's got the classic, you know, could roll out of bed and hit 300, a la fucking Dustin Ackley remarks said about him. Yeah. Um, but, yes, kind of uh, probably a future utility if below average power doesn't work out. So right now we'll probably try to see if he can do that short, and if not, moving over to second. But once again, Sickles has said... Um, the same things about his, his D is that he has a range of hands, just not the arm. Uh, he's an elite defender at second base and could be solid in center. He's speedy, and he's got a quick line drive swing that could bring him a high average. And the one thing holding him back is the lack of current and projectable power. Um, he called him a second to fourth on pick, which makes sense because yeah. he got him in the third. Wow. So, yeah, uh, once again, uh, a, a really smart pick, and I just want to talk about at this point generally how DePoto was done in these drafts and immediately what he's brought over is, is you know before he even started he talked about controlling the, the strike zone and, and play discipline and, and contact skills and what he's brought to our draft is, is talking about risk statistics which is trying to evaluate a player's success going forward um, which is a very valuable uh, bit of knowledge to have but as of course, anybody that's a baseball fan knows, especially a Mariners fan, incredibly hard to do with prospects. I mean, it, trying to predict the future uh, of a prospect is like trying to predict lottery numbers. Basically, you know, it's it's a tough venture, but which is really important to say because Depoto's mo ever since he was with the Angels is, is drafting college players and not so much high school players, which is why. When we took Joe Rizzo, I was, I was a little surprised. And with the volume of college players that we're taking, uh, and uh, as like a ratio to high school players, I've been really happy with the photo because Chris Crawford, like we said earlier, he said the only names I've been hearing from the, from the Mariners and rumors and everything is, is college players, you know? And yeah. I personally align with this, with this way of thinking. Bill James said, uh, you know, college players are a better investment than high school players by a huge, huge, laughably huge margin. And Paul DePetsa conducted his own study of this and kind of said, you know, college players have meaningful, you know, quote, unquote, meaningful stats. Um, they play a lot more games against different competitions. So it's, it's easy to, uh, easier to project going forward, you know, who they're going to be. 
And I think when you're looking at high school players, uh, it's a lot harder to project. So I think with college players, you're getting a more mature player. You're getting better, stiffer competition. Um, so when it comes to high school players, you really want them not only to have the tools in terms of, you know, athleticism, et cetera, but you want them to have these, 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 um, you want them to, you know, already be controlling the strike zone and have on base skills and have good contact abilities because typically, you know, players that don't have these skills typically don't develop these skills. Mm-hmm. So when you're, when you're drafting a player like Mike Zanino and he's, <laughs> he's got this power, this raw power potential, he's a little more, unique because he's such a good pitch framer and he's so good defensively, but I would rather take a player who's already got these skills and maybe isn't as good on defense, but isn't, you know, uh, has a higher floor. And I think what the photo has done in terms of shaping our roster so far is he's heightened the floor by so much and improves our on-base skills. And going forward in the next couple of years, I think you're going to see not only that floor come up even higher, but you're going to see holes being filled and and raising our ceiling even more. Because I think right now the highest OBP we have is uh, Nelson Cruz at like 375. Mm. And that's not necessarily elite. So we've done a lot better of, of getting rid of the black holes and getting rid of the liabilities and filling them with, you know, Chris Ionetta, who's, He's done an admirable job. Leonis Martin, who's done a really good job in center on defense. And, oh man, it's so it's so nice to have him back off the DL. We didn't mention that in the first half, but I just like to say now, uh, Leonis Martin off the DL, back playing center field. It's so nice to see that guy out there. He is it's, it's really really nice, and, and he he hit a dinger yesterday. It's good to see. I think it was his first hit back. Mm-hmm. So you know we're just. We don't have any weaknesses, I don't think. Uh, maybe maybe as a team, you know, we could get better from the bench or, or could make improvements. I still think, you know, pitching has a lot to be desired. But, I mean, so far as this draft went, I totally agree with everything you said. Thank you so much for that analysis. That was really good. We still have one more thing to get to, and that is what everybody has been waiting for, the return of my and Michael's favorite game, a game we like to call What's My Age Again? What's my age again? Alright, so, uh, just to give you all a quick little recap of the rules of this game, Mike and I will each pick three players, which the other will have to guess how old they are. And whoever has the lowest... Oh, God. How do I describe this? Yeah, it's like golf. Whoever was the shortest distance away, uh, cumulative... From the three ages of these players, uh, wins. Mike, what are we playing for tonight? Let's let's set some stakes. Okay. I'm uh, I'm feeling I'm feeling risky. Let's actually set some stakes. Do you want to bet some money? Oh wow, I don't know about money. I don't. Actually, I'm I'm the worst about. That. Okay, let's let's play for fun. Actually, now that I think about it. No, let's set some stakes. Uh, what like like meat? Don't be a little. I. We we bleep that out. What, see? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. I'll bleep it out when I say it, too. Um, uh, no, we're not going to play for actual steaks, Mike. I'm vegan. No. Okay, fine. Okay, okay. I got one. Uh, 
Luther has to take the other out to a meal next time we hang out. All right. All right, let's do it. Okay. I'm I'm actually nervous now because I don't want to buy you a meal, but uh, <laughs> fuck, I didn't realize. <laughs> I just, Mike and I did not plan this out. We were not gonna originally play for anything, but now, okay, we got a meal on the line. Let's do this. Uh, would you like to give me a player first? Uh, yeah. Do you want to just go back and forth? Yeah, we'll go back and forth. That way, it's more exciting. You know what I mean? All right, let's do this. Okay. Fuck, I'm uh, nervous. Your first player is. Leonis Oh, no. Okay, Leonis Martin. He's pretty young. He, uh, this is only like his, his debut season was 2012, I believe. Uh, so now my only challenge is how old was he when he got called up? Uh, he's pretty young. I want to say he is maybe 24 or 25 when he got called up. I'm pretty sure. Ah, fuck. Um, you, you know, I'm going to take kind of a shot in the dark here and say that Leonis Martin is 28. Wow. You got it. This is, Get I think the we played this up. two years ago when we, you know, used to have our podcast when it was a lot worse. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever done this before. I, I've never guessed it on the money. Oh my god. I am notoriously bad at this game, and I'm getting off to a hot start. Let's go. After the game, I'm going to talk about my reasoning for these takes, but okay, fine. Give, give me, give oh me your... Oh my god, wow. Okay, so Mike... Give, give me your first player. Mike is decidedly better at this game historically than I am, so I was really going to try to throw him some curveballs. Your first player, Mike, is Hunter Pence. How old is San Francisco Giants outfielder Hunter Pence. 32. Wow, <laughs> you just whip him right out. <laughs> I had to sit and mull over mine for forever. Hunter Pence is 33. So, in case uh, we're still unclear about the rules here, I am currently winning by one year. All right, let's get my second one, Mike. A uh, favorite of mine, Mariners great Dustin Ackley. Oh, fucking hell. You're really testing me here, Mike. Dustin Ackley, let's see, he went to college, so he was like an older prospect. Uh, he went to college in like North Carolina, didn't he? Yep. Okay. <laughs> um, really? I, uh, he broke into the league in 2011, maybe? I think might have been his rookie season. He got like a half season there, so by now he'd probably be... Uh, 30 years old. Nope. 28. A ripe 28 oh, years no. old. Fuck. Alright, so uh, with that guess, Mike takes the lead one year to two. Oh, let's see if I can't make up some ground on this one. I think this one's going to be pretty challenging because this is like an old timer and... Oh, fuck. I shouldn't have even just gave it away like that. <laughs> I kind of like spoiled it. Fuck. Well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Soiled it. Soiled it. Soiled it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, John Lackey. How old is uh, starting pitcher John, John Lackey. Lackey? Yeah, that ugly motherfucker, right? He's got like a mole on his face, doesn't he? Yeah, I'm going to go with my gut and say 38. <sighs> John Lackey is 37. We're all tied up. 
two years to two years, we got <laughs> we got lunch on the line. I'm honestly amped right now. I'm so worried, Michael. I was my second guess was thirty seven. <laughs> well, you too bad. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. All right, give me my final player, Mike. It all comes down to this. You know what? I feel like since I gave you the first two. You should give me your last one. Uh, okay, sure. <laughs> we'll we'll switch it up a little bit. All right. My last player for you, Michael. Uh, franchise player, Cincinnati Red, Mister Joey Votto. Uh, oh God. Yeah. That's tough, right? I thought I might stump you with this one. That's why I saved it for last. Thirty-two. Fuck. You! Oh, he's 30 fucking two. Bitch! Oh, Holy shit, that means if I... Okay, okay, okay. So it looks like I'm you, probably you about have, to lose. You have to get the age of this third player. If I get it on the money, though, we're going to have to go to a tiebreaker. So we're, we're going to have to pause the recording, and we're both going to have to go find one more player, okay? If I get this yeah, right. Yeah, okay. that's true. I just want to make sure we've got the rules settled before we continue. Okay. Let me hear it. Holy shit. I really don't want to buy you lunch. Alright, the third player is a candidate of our dating game oh, last week. Oh, Jesus Christ. A devout Christian. Oh, fuck. Stephen R. Shishek. Oh, Jesus, no. That's so hard. Uh. <laughs> you, I can't fucking see you right now, so if you're looking this up, I'm going to be so unhappy. I've... I, want my, I want my fucking stick to... <laughs> I'm not a cheer. Hey, Mike. Actually, real quick, one thing I will say, the meal I'm buying you has to be vegan, because I'm not going to pay for... You motherfucker. Well, uh, come on, Mike. It's against my uh, against I, my I'm beliefs. I, I, like, I like black bean burgers. We can go... Like. There's this place. Uh, I'm going to actually throw a quick plug in here for this place in Tacoma. It's called Quickie 2. It's like this awesome uh, vegan cafe. Well, it's not a cafe. It's like a little like brunch spot, but it's really, really good. But right. I'm, you want to go Okay, fine. I'm clearly stalling. Well, I just like one excuse to go there because I love that place. But uh, so I'm stalling, and I'm gonna go ahead and say Stephen R. Is his middle initial R? Yeah. Stephen R. Cshek is fuck. I feel like he's young. Oh my god, I'm afraid to say this number. Twenty. I don't know. Nine. No way! I did it! I did it! Holy shit! I did it! I swear to I swear to Mike, Mike, I swear to God, I I put it on my life. I did not look that up. Get up! Fuck yeah! Oh my god, we head to overtime here on Griffey's Naptime Podcast. I don't believe it. This is unprecedented. Okay, stick with us. Uh, we're going to need a quick sec while Mike and I come up with one more player each. Oh my god. <laughs> Alright, here we are. This is Sudden Death on What's My Age Again. What's my age again? Mike. I just you... want to have you overdub that as much as possible. Would you like to go first? Uh, 
Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Okay, give me your player. The Canadian former Mariner. Michael Saunders. The Condor. Oh fucking Michael hell! Saunders. You know, I almost, I almost picked him. Ah, oh, fuck. I know. Even when he was on the team, there were questions about him being like an old prospect. I think he came up and played his like rookie season with us when he was like 26. But you also said just a few minutes ago that you want me to overshoot it as much as possible. So now I'm kind of thinking I should like underestimate what I actually think it is. I don't even remember saying that, but yeah, sure. But underestimate it. I'm going to go with my gut. Which has never, never done me wrong in the past. I'm going to go with my gut and say that Michael Saunders is 30 years old. Oh, fuck you. He's 29. Okay. Oh, okay. That's pretty good. All right. One year. Holy shit, Mike. You got to get within one year of the player have, I'm about to give you. Do you think you can do there that? There are three numbers that I can say to win or prolong this. Oh, fuck. We're gonna have to go to double overtime. That might be too ridiculous if we go to double overtime. If we, if there isn't a winner right here, then I think we just draw. Okay. It'll no. be a pu- it'll be a push until the next time we play this. No, I refuse that. <laughs> okay. All right. I I will not settle for a draw. All right, let's go. Give me this. Give me this shit. Tampa Bay third baseman Evan Longoria. Oh, what the fuck. Uh, Okay, um, fuck, I could be safe, or I should, uh, I could go for the win right here. Go for the win, Mike. Alright, he's 32 years old. Get up! He is 30 years old, I fucking win! Yeah! Michael owes me a lunch, motherfucker! Yeah! Celebrate good times! Come on! Yeah. This yeah. is some shit. Okay, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, wow. For the record, I thought when we had Leonis Martin, I thought he was like 31. He felt like, it felt like he played for the, Ra- the Rangers forever. Yeah, no, I remember when he came up. Wow. Uh, well, I'm already salivating at the thought of Mike having to buy me lunch. Is a beer also included in that lunch? No. Alright, Mike. Well, whatever. We can buy our own beers then. But I'm looking forward to that uh, that awesome entree. And I'm looking forward to our next episode next week. So thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Nippy's Grip Time Podcast. Uh, I'm Nippy. He's Nippy. I'm Dustin. Have a good night. Don't say-